0: gopi Janabala, lava giri-varadhari Janabala, lava giri-varadhari bhajajana Jasoda nanda Braja Janaran Jana Jamunati Ravana Chari Jamunati Ravana Chari Jayam Vishnupad, Pai Mahamsa, -mahamsa, -mahamsa, Pai Braja Asatara Satya Sri Srimad is Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta, Swami Maharaj, Bhopada ki jai. Is Khan Founder, Charaya Srila Prabhupada ki jai. Nantikoti Vaishnava Rindaki ki jai. Nama Charaya Srila Haridasa Thakur ki jai. Prem Sikkhoshi Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nicananda Shri Adoita Kadadhar Sri Vasati Gaur Bhakta ki jai. Shri Shri Radha Krishna go, Gopina Shyama Radha Kunda Gidiko Vardana Ki Jai Vrindavan Dam Ki Jai Mathura Dam Ki Jai Vrindavan Dam Ki Jai Jagannath Ki Jai Gangamaya Devi Ki Jai Bhakti Devi Ki Jai Tosni Maharani Ki Jai Sambhate Devta Rin Jai Gaur premanande all glories to the assembled devotees Hare all glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada, Vishnu Vishnupadaya, Krishna Prasthaya, Vrtale, Shumati, Bhakti, Vinanta, Swami, Niti, Namane, Namaste, Sarasvāti, Deva, Goravani Pacharani, Nirvasesi, Sinavadi, Paskajade, Satarani. Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Uta Parakamalam Sri Gurun Vaishnavaamscha Sri Rukam Sagrujatham Sahagana Raghunatham Vitham Samasa Jeevan Sadvadutam Sarvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Sri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Sri Vishakam Vithamscha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya
1: Om Namah Bhagavate Vasudevaya.
0: Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo
1: Bhagavate Vasudevaya.
0: Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya.
1: Bhagavate Vasudevaya.
0: July 9th, 2013, Skype class from
2: Hawaii, Hilo. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Chapter 7, The Son of Drona Punished, Text 30.
0: Samhatya Nyonyam Ubayos. Samhatya Nyonyam Ubayos. Tejasi Shara Age to see Shara Sandra Day. Avritya Roda Sea come cha.
1: va.
0: Vavridate Rikvahinat. If Rita
1: Please chat. Some some hot young young over yos. Some hot young young over yos. Teaches a great A Yam, Shara Shara Petya Rodada Siddha Khamta Avritya Rodada Siddha Khamta Gavrita Ter Kha schadgat Vrita and Hat Yan Yon Yam Uva Yos. Agency Sharasan the day.
0: Agency Sharasan
1: the day. Akira of the sea. si of the sea. Akira of the sea. Akira Anyone
0: else? some
2: Samhatyah. Samhatyah By combination of
1: Samhatyah combination of
2: Anyonyam
1: one another.
0: One another
1: One another Ubayo Ubayo
2: Of both Of both Tejasi Tejasi The glares The glares Shara Shut up Weapons
1: Weapons
2: Samvriti.
1: Covering. Covering.
2: Avritya.
1: Avritya.
2: Covering. Covering. Rojasi. The complete firmament. The complete firmament. Kamcha.
1: Kamcha. Kamcha.
2: Outer space also.
1: Outer space, also.
2: Vavridate. Increasing.
1: Increasing.
2: Arka. Arka. The sun globe. Sun globe. Vanivat. Sun globe. Like fire. Translation in purport by Sheila Prabhupada. When the rays of the two Brahmastras combined, a great circle of fire like the disk of the sun covered all outer space and the whole firmament of planets. Purport. The heat created by the flash of a Brahmastra resembles the fire exhibited in the sun globe at the time of cosmic annihilation. The radiation of atomic energy is very insignificant in comparison to the heat produced by a Brahmastra. The atomic bomb explosion can at utmost blow up one globe, but the heat produced by the Brahmastra can destroy the whole cosmic situation. The comparison is therefore made to the heat at the time of annihilation. Samhatyanyonyam ubayos tejasi shada avritya rhodasi kamcha vavridhater kava When the rays of the two Brahmastras combined, a great circle of fire like the disk of the sun covered all outer space and the whole firmament of planets. So Prabhupada here is talking about how the whole material creation is destroyed. Bhutva, Bhutva, Prahlīyate. And this Brahmastra reminded the people who were seeing it of the end of the creation so reminded that means that we've experienced it right? everything gets destroyed and Krishna says that for one who's taken his birth death is certain and he talks about in the 8th chapter again: everything will be destroyed even if you go to Brahma's planet uh, you're still going to find this birth, death, old age and disease in some form there's still going to be destruction and he says in the second chapter that uh, those things which are asat they don't, they don't stay They're not eternal, the body, this world, and only the soul is eternal. So all of us have to face this, huh? I mean, it's part of our daily anxieties. How am I going to keep from destruction? How am I going to protect the stuff, (laughs) my stuff from destruction? Because we've all experienced so many destructions. We've experienced, you know, from the little tiny destructions, like our shoes wear out. You know, I've got a, a nice pair of shoes and the sole is separating from the shoe. So I thought, oh, I'll take it to a shoe repair place. And so far we can't find any shoe repair places in this little town of Hilo. And I went on the internet to buy some glue to fix it myself. And they said, we don't ship. Shoe fixing glue to Hawaii. <laughs> so we have our little things that get destroyed. Our shoes wear out, our clothes get ripped and stained, our car breaks down. You know, little destructions. And we may have little destructions in relationships. You know, we have a best friend when we were children, and then we move away and they move away. And it's finished. Practically speaking, the universe of my childhood is, is gone now. My birth family in the, in the 2000s, in the 2000s, my sister died, 2002, my mother died, 2003, my father died, 2004, my other sister died. So that little universe is gone. So our things, we have the little destructions, the little annihilation of our things, And the little and a little bit bigger annihilation of relationships. Like Prabhupada wrote, how he went back to his birth city when he was in an older age and he said, Where are all my relatives? All they are now is a list of names, and even that list of names is finished, unless somebody keeps careful genealogical records. Even the list of names is destroyed and eventually uh, all those list of names is destroyed. Then we have a little bit bigger destruction in the death of our body. And when the, so we have our, our things that wear out, our relationships that vanish, our little universes, the little universe we had when we were a child, maybe that's already vanished. And then the whole life vanishes. And again, we have to take another body. And, and then, of course, there's a little bit bigger, maybe not for us personally, but on a human scale, where there's destructions that affect not just one person's body, but that affect a whole big chunk of society. Wars, you know, as recently in Hungary. And one of the devotees told me that whenever she has any difficulty in her life, her mother will say, at least you're not in a war. And she was telling me how the Germans, when they took over Hungary, they didn't want to destroy anything because they they wanted Hungary. They wanted to rule it. They wanted it to be something worth ruling. But when the Russians were coming in as part of the Allies to shove the Germans out, the Germans decided that out of envy that, well, if we can't have it, nobody can have it. So they destroyed Budapest so that there would be nothing for the Allies to enjoy, nothing for the Hungarians to enjoy. The whole city was destroyed. I mean, of course, the the Nazis were so envious. Even Hitler asked for the destruction of Germany when the Allies were coming in. His generals didn't obey him. But so war... You know, war means that your whole city is gone. All your possessions, all your everything, a lot of your relatives, or floods, hurricanes, tornadoes. Recently, there was a tornado in America, I forget where, where practically a whole city again was just destroyed in in a few seconds. Everything smashed. Or even epidemics, sometimes diseases. We had the plague in Europe that wiped out, what was it, a third or two thirds, I can't remember which, of the population. So there's those kinds of destructions, which for an individual, you could say it's smaller than the death of your own body, but on a society scale, it's certainly bigger. And then sometimes there's floods all over the whole planet, not just a flood in one city or a flood in one state or a flood in one country or a tsunami for a few cities but sometimes there's a universal flood or a flood for the whole planet so there's records of this in all of the ancient cultures of the world where the whole planet is under water and the scientist says how is that possible how is there enough water to cover the earth but actually we hear that the universe is half filled with water so the Lord is lying in the bottom of the ocean and in fact the Bhagavatam tells us of one time when the demons were drilling for oil and the whole planet fell into this water so it wasn't exactly a flood of rain but it was a flood of falling into the universal lake so to speak and then at the end of Brahma's day is described in the fifth canto in the glories of Lord Ananta that the Lord becomes disgusted I've given these living entities a chance to go back to Godhead and they didn't take it and so there, a fire comes out of his of the mouths of Ananta and as described in today's verse the sun becomes very hot so even the modern scientists talk about this the sun become, that the sun will eventually become very hot and burn everything up and there's a devastation at the end of Brahma's day that destroys everything except for the highest planets. So the few highest planets, and some of the residents of the very high planets, they go to even higher planets to escape, but most planets are destroyed. And then when Brahma wakes up again, again he recreates them. Then there's a devastation at the end of Brahma's life, where the whole universe is sucked back into the body of Mahavishnu, and everything goes back to an unmanifested state. In today's verse, we had the word "kam," which means space or ether. So even that is destroyed. So at the end of Brahma's day, there's still all the elements existing separately, the modes existing separately. But the end of Brahma's life, even that is finished. You can't see anymore the mode of goodness, passion, or ignorance. There's no difference. There's no space and liquids and gases and and air and it, 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 everything is in the pradhan. You can't distinguish anything from an, from another. Like there's the periodic table of the elements, so you can tell the difference between gold and something else. Uh, but um, but at the end, you can't do that at all. Everything is is finished. So. Uh, We've all experienced these devastations. We've experienced the major end-of-the-universe devastation where we got sucked back into the body of Mahavishnu and everything was finished. There was no gross or even subtle bodies. And we've experienced the devastation at the end of Brahma's day and we've experienced... In in different lifetimes, or in this lifetime, floods and famine and disease and war, and in our own lifetime, uh, we've experienced all these little deaths, the death of our shoes and uh, the death of our childhood universe. So one who's a little bit of a philosopher comes to the point of saying, what is the use of being attached to the things in this world which end up being, at best, a list of names. Why put your hopes and your dreams, your ideas of happiness and and meaning and satisfaction and peace in something which is not going to last? Virjan Prabhu said he calculated that from Lord Brahma's perspective, one human lifetime in Kali Yuga lasts for eight billionths of a second. So someone who's a little thoughtful will say, why should I want to be a billionaire for eight billionths of a second? Why should I care about how happy my marriage is for eight billionths of a second? Or how healthy my body is, or, or what shoes I have, or, or whatever, for eight billionths of a second, how famous I am, and and so forth, and so on. Therefore, Krishna says over and over again in the Bhagavad Gita, that those who are dear to him, those who are wise, they are detached from happiness and distress, honor and dishonor, fame and infamy, heat and cold, they see alike, friends and enemies, they have this detachment. But then we have the other hand. We have on the other hand. How do you live like that? How do you just say, I'm just going to be detached? If we meditate, I mean, the materialists, they look at all these deaths and they're filled with fear and anxiety. Right? And the the karmis, to use our official Sanskrit terms. The karmis, they look at all these deaths from the deaths of their trousers to the death of their shoes to the death of their childhood universe to the death of the universe and the extremely fleeting and essentially meaningless nature of their lives and they become full of fear and anxiety. And they're constantly trying to Adjust uh, the nature of their lives. And then the Gyanis, they're just simply trying to become equipoised and say, well, we'll just be detached. We'll just have peace. But is that enough? No, it's not enough. Therefore Krishna says to Arjuna not only that everything is destroyed, he also says to Arjuna, Never was there a time when you and I and all these kings did not exist, we all exist now, and never in the future will they cease to be. There is something which is not subject to this Buddha Buddha Puryate Najayate Miyate Vakadachi Nayam butva babita ba namu yaha. Ajo There is something Nayam Nayam Bhavita, it doesn't have this destruction. That's where our satisfaction and meaning is. That's where it is, not in the things that will be destroyed you know this verse talks prop this purport talks about an atom bomb and i don't think so much today but when i was a child we were very frightened about the atom bombs there were many movies about the destruction by atomic war i remember seeing one when i was quite young 10 maybe which terrified me for a long time you know what would happen if there was a computer mess up and from that, there was an atomic war. <laughs> but we've, we've not only experienced atomic war in some lifetime or other, but we've experienced uh, Brahmastra destroying the universe. We've experienced all this universal uh, stuff. But we also experienced that here we still are. We've been through all these destructions. You know, your shoes die, your clothes die your computer dies your stuff dies and you're still there your childhood universe dies and you're still there our bodies die we change from one and we're still there whatever devastation is there whatever happens even the whole universe is destroyed I'm still here I still exist And not only do I exist, it's not just I am, but Jivara, Swarupaya, Kushnera, Nityadasha. I exist as a very particular servant of Krishna. I have my uh, Swaroop. I have my personality. I was reading the other day, one devotee, interestingly enough, a devotee, was saying that we don't have an inherent personality, we're just I am. But no, we have an inherent personality. As Goswami very nicely explains this in his commentary to Bhagavad Gita 10 14 7. We have an inherent personality. And not only do we have a personality, we have an eternal relationship with Krishna. Yad bhava bhavita diyo manu justa rupa mahima sannyana busha meva nigama pratitai vanti. We have, it's explained in the Brahma Samhita, we have even chairs and ornaments. We have a place in the spiritual world that isn't subject to this destruction. Right? As Krishna, that if you come to Krishna, you don't see this repeated birth and death. What do you see? Just floating in the nothing? No, we have a home. We have an eternal home where our clothes don't die. You know, if we have shoes, our shoes don't die. Our relationships don't die. They don't become just a list of names. Our activities don't die. Nothing in that, in our real world, dies. It's eternal. So the bhakta is neither frightened of these destructions nor just going to some detachment of peace like the jnani, but the bhakta is putting their meditation, their hopes, their aspirations, everything into what is eternal. And here we have the answer to how do you balance these two things. I remember my godbrother... Bhattu Gopapapu giving a class many years ago and he was saying that when you're deciding what you're going to do at any particular moment how you're going to live your day today how do you balance these two things that I know that destruction can come at any moment death can come at any moment or any of these little destructions also can come at any moment and yet I live as if I'm going to live forever isn't that strange? I mean when we're deciding what we're going to do right now we're we're not making decisions as if we're going to die any moment what would how would you live that way if you're going to live that way again that's the gyanis or perhaps the yogis who retire from society who go off to some secluded place they don't live as part of society they don't live an ordinary life they're living in a constant preparation for death and Yet the Karmis are living The Karmis are living as if they're pretending they're gonna live forever, right? The Ganis and the Yogis, they're concentrated on the destruction. The Karmis they're concentrated on the illusion and trying to get rid of the fear, trying to cover up the fact that everything's going to die. Everything's going to be destroyed with their absorption and their activities, their intoxication, their insurance policies. But how does the devotee balance these things? The devotee balances these things by being active in activities that are eternal, both in their own internal consciousness and even in their external activities. Well, you could say the external activities of the devotee are not eternal. The flower I offer to Krishna is going to fade and, and die. How is that eternal? But the act, the act of devotion is actually eternal. The relationship that we are developing with Krishna, or we re- reawakening, that is eternal. The personality, our our real personality within that we're awakening, that is eternal. Our meditation is on the things that are eternal. I mean, in the process of doing the eternal reality, we are dealing with temporary matter, that no doubt. But we don't invest our anxieties in temporary matter. And temporary relationships we don't invest our hopes and dreams in these things we invest our hopes and dreams in the eternal so you can see that this bhakti process is so much more practical I mean the what the karmis are doing is pathetic unfortunate absurd ridiculous <laughs> the karmis are trying to pretend that there's no destruction and they're trying to use material destructible means to prevent the inevitable. Right? Even the atomic bomb that Prabhupada talks about in this purport. Why do people develop atomic bombs? They're trying to wipe out first the enemy who might wipe them out. So the whole purpose of their atomic bombs is to stave off their own inevitable destruction. If I can just kill my enemies, then I won't be destroyed. And everything the karmis are doing is like that. Either let me forget that there'll be destruction, or let me do something to prevent the destruction. And both of those attempts are hopeless, pathetic, perhaps laughable. I think ultimately they're very sad. They're very pitiable. As Lord Brahma said, that he's feeling great pity and compassion for the regular, the fruit of workers who engage in a hopeless, futile, anxiety ridden attempt. But the process of the jhanis and the yogis, although it's superior, is not satisfying. Simply saying, I'm just going to stop this futile, pathetic endeavor. We want something real. We want activities. We want things, even. You know, in, in the spiritual world, the residents, they're not running around naked. They have clothes. They have homes. They have jewelry. They have, they have food. <laughs> they have relationships. Why they? We. We have these. They're ours. We have our eternal situation, not nothing. We have our eternal personality. Personality means a particular relationship with Krishna, a particular relationship with the other residents of Vrindavan, a particular relationship with the things of the spiritual world, which are all also conscious. There's no matter there. A particular set of likes and dislikes. So our process of Krishna consciousness is to be Krishna conscious, to be conscious of the real, to be conscious of the eternal, to be conscious, to become conscious, to awaken our consciousness as to who I am. I mean, In the beginning, it's a very general thing. Jivara Swarupaya Krishnari Nityadasha. I am the servant of Krishna. And in the beginning, it may just be I'm the servant of my spiritual master. I'm the servant of Śrīla Prabhupāda. I'm the servant of the other devotees. You know, something very tangible and in, in front of our face. and that's. But that's also real. That's absorption in the real. And if we're actually absorbed in the real then we accomplish the peace that the karmis, ganis, and yogis are trying to find. The karmis are trying to find peace through denial and intoxication, illusion, or through material plans. The ghanis are trying to find peace through philosophical detachment. The yogis are trying to find peace by meditation on the atma. But we will actually find that peace. In fact, that peace will be so incidental Because the devotees go far beyond peace to finding Ananda. Krishna says there cannot be happiness without peace. Well, we have that basis of peace to a real relationship. Therefore, Prabhupada, when the bombs were falling in India in World War II, he said, oh, there's Krishna. When Marit Frickit was cursed by Shringi, he said, oh, that's Krishna. You know, when our shoes break and our clothes rip and our childhood friends uh, die or give up their connection with us, when there's floods and hurt, oh, that's Krishna. How interesting. I'm not of this world. My investment is of the other world. So, of course, to be absorbed in the real, we have to actually be absorbed in the real. We don't want to be like the karmis, who are absorbed in the temporary, but who may have some religion, and who are going through some sort of religious rituals. In fact, that's an offense to think about what we're doing as some sort of religious rituals. It's not that our chanting our rounds and our worshiping the deity and offering our food is just some sort of religious ritual that we're hoping is going to give us happiness in this life and in the next. But really, we're absorbed in the temporary. Now, we don't want to be like that. Nor do we want to be like the Ghanis and the Yogis, who are simply trying to become detached and just going to the I am. Our process is to become absorbed in the real. So that we should be asking ourselves, how much am I absorbed in the real? And to absorb ourselves in the real. And it, it's not that difficult because the real is so much more attractive than the illusion. I mean, of course, the material world is real in the sense that it exists, but it's not real in the sense that it's not, this body is not our real self and our activities are not our real, our ultimate, our actual activities. It's real, but it's not the reality. The material world is real in the sense that a dream is real or a movie is real it has some existence it's not unreal in the mayavati sense but anyway we want to be absorbed in the real we want to be absorbed in the light come from darkness to the light and the light is so much more attractive than the darkness the real is so much more attractive than the illusion so that means to hear to read to hear How are we going to become absorbed in Krishna? I was just listening to a lecture Prabhupada gave. We said, how are we going to become attached to Krishna if we don't know about Krishna? We have to know about Krishna. We have to be under the shelter of Krishna. Instead of taking shelter of the things that will fail, like our shoes and our clothes and our family and our society and our nation and our planet and our universe and our body... And hearing of those things, and absorption of those things, be absorbed in Krishna, hearing Krishna's pastimes. Prabhupada in the very beginning of Iskand gave us Krishna book. And now we have the translations of so many of the books of the Acharyas, the pastimes of the Lord, the pastimes of the devotees given in the Bhagavatam and the charitamrita to be absorbed in those, to actually meditate on those, to remember that what we're doing, that whatever we're doing, whatever sacrificing we're doing, to do that for Krishna, not for the temporary. Whatever we're doing, do that for Krishna. Do that for Krishna. How do you do that for Krishna? It's, it's so. Easy. Just like we've all had experience, we're doing something because someone is watching us and we're trying to impress the person who's watching us. Or we're talking to person A, but we're trying to impress person B who's watching us. So guess who's always watching us? And we try to we do it for him. We offer it for him. Try to impress him. Prabhupada says, don't try to see God. Make it so God wants to see you. Act in such a way that Krishna says, I want to see you. Then everything becomes spiritual. Bhagavad Gita 4.24. Everything becomes spiritual. And if we're living in that reality, then there's no fear. There's no fear. There's no anxiety. There's all peace. And when we have that peace and that ananda then we can become real preachers. Then we can give peace to others. So although Arjuna is watching this Brahmastra and shooting his own Brahmastra and so forth, he's experiencing peace because he's seeing this is all the play of the modes of nature and I'm working here to please Krishna and my work to please Krishna, that is eternal and what Krishna wants uh, is fine. Krishna wants everything destroyed, fine. Krishna wants this Brahmastra neutralized, that is fine. My happiness is coming from pleasing Krishna. So, questions, comments, additions, subtractions?
1: Uh, Mother Kamala, what is that? The best way for us to please Krishna. Our hearts are full of so many anarchists. And it's hard for our devotion to be really pure. So at our stage, how can we most impress and please Krishna?
2: One who is not envious but is a kind friend to all living entities, who does not think himself a proprietor and is free from false ego who is equal in both happiness and distress, who is tolerant, always satisfied, self-controlled, and engaged in devotional service with determination, his mind and intelligence fixed on me, such a devotee of mine is very dear to me. He for whom no one is put into difficulty and who is not disturbed by anyone, who is equipoised in happiness and distress, fear and anxiety, is very dear to me. My devotee who is not dependent on the ordinary course of activities, who is pure, expert, "...without cares, free from all pains, and not striving for some result, is very dear to me. One who neither rejoices nor grieves, who neither laments nor desires, and who renounces both auspicious and inauspicious things, such a devotee is very dear to me. One who is equal to friends and enemies, who is equipoised in honor and dishonor, heat and cold, happiness and distress, fame and infamy, who is always free from contaminating association, always silent and satisfied with anything." who doesn't care for any residence? who is fixed in knowledge, and who is engaged in devotional service, such a person is very dear to me. Those who follow this imperishable path of devotional service and who completely engage themselves with faith, making me the supreme goal, are very, very dear to me. For one who explains the supreme secret to the devotees, pure devotional service is guaranteed, and at the end he will come back to me. There is no servant in this world more dear to me than he nor will there ever be one more dear. There you go. That's how to be dear to Krishna. Please, Krishna.
1: As you were reading the list though, I didn't find an awful lot of those qualities that applied in me at my stage. They're all they're all levels that I'm still very much aspiring to achieve to come to that level of equanimity, etc., Um, free from envy it still seems not quite far off
2: so practice practice focus on these things if I want to please somebody then I focus on what will please them so meditate on these things and make, make an effort that today I'm going to work at doing this and because they're actually our own qualities, they're, own, they're actually part of ourselves, in, in one sense it's easier to cultivate them than to try to be materially successful. <laughs> and if you try to cultivate them, Krishna will help you. I mean, and, and it, the Acharya is explaining that the Bhakta who's endeavoring to cultivate these qualities is more dear to krishna than the expert karmayogini or yogi but this is how we please krishna he's giving us uh, it's it's not a secret he's not making it a secret that he's saying this is what's dear to me this is what's dear to me this is what's this is what pleases me so for example not striving for some result that's something anybody can practice striving instead for krishna's pleasure in the moment rather than a, a particular result staying equipoised in honor and dishonor fame and infamy so anybody can practice stopping to defend themselves you now that if somebody criticizes you or someone says you've done something even if they're right even if they're wrong that you don't you don't defend yourself anybody can practice doing that that's not it's not that you can't practice that doesn't care for any residents so we take care of our residents after all we have our, our altar and it, we're using it in Krishna service but if it comes it goes we don't invest our happiness in our residents wherever we go this way or that way I mean in, in that regard I, I remember many many years ago Goodness, this would have been in the, in the 80s. So we, we bought a, a, a rather old house. that needed a lot of renovation. The counter in the kitchen was made up of little tiny hexagonal tiles with grout in between them, and the grout was coming out, and some of the tiles were coming out, and it was very hard to make anything that required to be rolled on a surface because the grout would stick to it. So I, was, I went to the wedding of Ravinda Sri Prabhu's daughter, And while I was gone, my husband said he would replace the countertop with a smooth countertop. Anyway, he got very enthusiastic, and he decided he was going to replace the whole kitchen. (laughs) He told me that there were 17 layers of floors on the floor. Anyway, he he gutted the whole kitchen. When I came back, the kitchen was basically just a big gaping hole. (laughs) There was nothing there (laughs) at all. So, you know, we rebuilt the kitchen from scratch. It was a very, very small kitchen that had very little visible wall. The wall cabinets were covering most of the wall, so there couldn't have been more than, you know, one or two square meters, one or two square yards of, of visible wall space, and that was just here and there. And I said, well, I want to paint the wall lavender. and My husband said, I don't like lavender. And we got into a big argument about it. I said, I'm the one who spends all the time in the kitchen. You're not in the kitchen. I should decide what colors the wall is going to be and so forth. And it, was, it was a big argument. It went on for probably a week or two. And it, it, I, I won the argument, and the walls were lavender. Anyway, a year later, we ended up moving to another house, which was quite unforeseen by us. It was, that was a long story, but it was mostly a favor we did for the local temple. And when we moved to the new house... I told my husband, "Just paint the walls, whatever you want." So to not be, not care for any residence, you know, to realize how long, even if you're staying in one residence for your whole life, uh, what does it ultimately matter? This way, that way, the other way. So anyone can practice that. It's not that my detachment came because I was such an advanced devotee, but just that I saw that this was stupid. I mean, not just a little intelligence. It's stupid to be so attached to something which is so very, very temporary. Right? And to follow this imperishable path of devotional service, certainly we're doing that. To explain the supreme secret to the devotees, so aren't we all doing that? Right? To be not disturbed by anyone. Again, that's something that we can practice, that when others do things, that might disturb us, we think, Krishna's taking care of me, Krishna's taking care of me. This person is not in control of what I get or what I don't get. Mare Krishna, Rake ke, Rake Krishna, ke. Who renounces both auspicious and inauspicious things. That we serve Krishna when things are auspicious, and we serve Krishna when things are not auspicious. The neophyte devotee is constantly trying to arrange the material aspects of their life to make them auspicious for Krishna consciousness. But here Krishna says if you really want to be dear to him, whether your life is auspicious for Krishna consciousness or not auspicious for Krishna consciousness, you still engage yourself in devotional service. So anyone can practice these. And even if we can't be 100% non-envious, we can still endeavor to be a kind friend to all living entities. We can still endeavor to think, I'm not the proprietor, Krishna's the proprietor. So, these are things we can practice, and the more we meditate on them, the more we're likely to try to practice them.
1: Thank you. Right. Nice.
0: Hi, nice. Bo. Hi, Bo. Hi,
1: hmm. Bo, I have a question. This is Jai and Jay. Okay. What are the qualities? that one must look
2: for in a spiritual master. Prabhupada gave the main qualifications of a spiritual master as strotriyam brahmanishtam. Strotriyam brahmanishtam. Strotriyam means one who has heard. And Prabhupada generally explains this as one who's coming in a proper parampara, a proper disciplic succession. Um, I'm speaking right into the mic. Oh, well, that must be from. S- okay, that's somebody else's thing. There's no waterfall here. Okay, so the Prabhupada says, Strotriam Brahmanishtam. So, Strotriam means one who has heard. And Prabhupada explains this as one who is coming in parampara. So there are many religions on the planet, there have been in the past, there are present, I'm sure there will be in the future, where the guru, whether they use that Sanskrit term or not, the leader, makes up their own philosophy. They say, you know, I went out and meditated and I had my own revelation and I've come up with my own philosophy. You know, I've spoken with some celestial being, and I'm coming up with my own philosophy. So there's there's many some of the major religions on the planet, by the way, are are like that. Some religions that have many many followers. It's where the acharya said, "I have my own revelation that's different from anyone else." So Strotriyamprabha says, "You're coming in puram repeating without." Change. Of course, there has to be change in the application. As Prabhupada said to Bhakti Siddhanta, oldest of all, but a new dress, miracle done, your divine grace. So, (coughs) a guru has to adjust for time, place, and circumstance, but the Siddhanta has to be coming down into simplic succession. And then Ramanishtam, to be fixed in the absolute truth. So what does Krishna say in the Bhagavad Gita? The Guru is one who is seeing the truth. So this is similar to Brahmanishtam. So in other words, Gyanin Vigan. A spiritual master is somebody who is heard the truth from the bona fide source and who's realized it. It's not just theoretical. So that's the two main qualifications of Guru. We could give many other qualifications, but those are the main qualifications. And how do you see that? So that's given, of course, in the second chapter of Bhagavad Gita, where Arjuna says, how does he speak? What is his language? How does he sit? How does he walk? What are the external behaviors of such a person? So and there's this many other descriptions, of course. Krishna describes the divine qualities and, or this list we just read of how Krishna describes who's dear to him or the description in the 14th chapter there's Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gives the 26 qualities of a devotee although those are all there but the main things are strotriya and brahmanishtha that's the the core you could say that, uh, that what a person is, as heard is bona fide it's coming from parampara, and they're living it. They've realized it. It's it's not it's not just something that they're reading from a page without understanding.
1: I have two questions coming in. Okay. Uh, all right. This is from Anupama, who cannot unmute herself right now. Uh, Mother Urmila said, "Try not to be to envy." But what if another person is envious and creating enough troubles, crossing all limits every time by not caring about Vaishava rules and regulations, how to handle such behaviors?
2: He for whom no one is put into difficulty and who is not disturbed by anyone. One who is equal to friends and enemies. So, if someone else is envious towards us, or is acting, what does envious towards us mean? It means that they want our harm. What does it mean if someone is an enemy? They want our harm. We're not disturbed by them. We have compassion for them and love for them like we have for everyone else. Now, on an external platform, we're enjoined the, in the scriptures that if somebody is blaspheming God or the devotees that we try to rectify them, and if we can't do that, then we remove ourselves from their association. Now, if you can't do either of those things, then you're supposed to die. But the problem is that it's also a sin to commit suicide, especially if you're a devotee or a brahmana. If a brahmana commits suicide, that's the sin of killing a brahmana. So, if you can't fix the person and if you can't leave their association just like Prahlad couldn't leave the association of Hiranyakashipu, where was he going to go? Hiranyakashipu was running the whole universe and was his own father and he was a little boy so where was he going to go? so if you, if you can't do that uh, then you have to detach yourself you have to die in a sense in, in a subtle sense not associate with that internally and just keep having compassion for the person, keep praying for the person, just like Prahlad Maharaj. You say, well, I'm not Prahlad Maharaj, but you know what? If Krishna's putting us in a situation where we're with an envious, blasphemous person and we can neither help them nor leave them, then Krishna's asking us, by putting us in that situation, to become like Prahlad. That's what he's asking us to do. If you say, I can't do it, then you're going to have to argue with Krishna who put you in the situation and obviously thinks you can do it to just keep having compassion for the person, keep praying for the person. Krishna, please help this person. Krishna, please help this person. I remember one time where I was in a situation like that, and I was always uh, praying for the person to be helped, but I realized that my main motive for praying for them to be helped was not for them, but it was for me, because I was suffering in their association. And when I prayed for them to be helped for themselves, and when I prayed that I was willing to pay some sort of price and undergo some sort of difficulty for their benefit, then immediately Krishna adjusted things in a very interesting way. So one should, in that kind of a situation, be caring about the other person for the other person's sake. Whatever I may have to suffer, kampam nukampam sukshmikshmanam. Whatever I may have to suffer, I may have to suffer. But ideally you try to help the other person, and if that's not possible, you leave and in the very unusual circumstances when you can neither fix them nor leave, then you find a a way, you practice praying for their benefit independent of your own suffering and be willing to undergo some austerity yourself to benefit and love that other person, just as Krishna loves everyone, even the envious.
1: Okay. I didn't see a reply. Ah, here we go. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, next question. Um, actually, this is Anu Mataji. She um, is a little bit new to devotional service, but she's been with us for several months now. And uh, she was asking this question before about uh, chanting, quality chanting her around, uh, trying to come up to the mark. Um, she's saying that... Uh, She chants a few rounds and then becomes tired. The mind becomes tired, impatient, wants to put it off to the next day. Basically just asking, uh, can you give her some uh, clues for how to increase the quality and quantity of chanting?
2: So I'm sure we could, but I, I I, I try to limit the discussion to things that are very related to the class instead of going off on a very different topic. And also, that's a very big topic. My very short answer is that there's a number of books on, the, on this subject. So I myself have written a book. It's called The Great Mantra for Mystic Meditation, Opening the Lotus of Good Fortune. It's available on Amazon as an ebook. And if you don't have a Kindle, you can get a free Kindle app. And you can read it on your computer or any electronic device. There's a book that Burjahan Prabhu has written called Joppa, there's a book that Satyendranath has written called the Nectarian Ocean of the Holy Name, and then there's a book that Mahanidhi Swami has written. I think it's called the Art of Chanting Hari Krishna. So right there, there's Sadh uh, Supermarch has also written a book, Japa Reform Notebook. So I think you, and then of course you have the books of our acharyas. You have Bhakti Thakur who wrote Hari Namchintamani, which is also about chanting Hari Krishna. So rather than spending another hour discussing that, I would refer you to one or all of those books, and all of which give both theoretical and practical advice. Okay, I think we can take one more, and that's it. Okay, thank you very much. All Glories to Srila Prabhupada.